Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name's John Alexander, and I'm here with my co-host, as usual, Don Grafham. Don, how are you? I am doing well. We're still in different rooms, John, but I, I feel like it's coming to an end. I, I don't know. I just have this optimistic spirit that one day you and I are going to be doing this in the same room again. It's, it's going to happen. Well, that's not entirely true. Just a few minutes before this started, you predicted Easter 2021. So I don't know if you're putting on a fake front here. I mean, when you were back in the office, because I'm sitting in your office, you're at home. We're yeah. living in strange times. But anyways. I, I didn't uh, prove that, by the way. But yeah, yeah it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's true. Someday. Well, we've got a great special guest with us today. I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear from him. His name is Dale Peterson, who he is our executive director of the Eagle Brook Association. Dale, first of all, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing well. This is my first day back in the office after five months. Um, you know, when I left, I thought I ah, will be gone a couple of weeks. So I watered my plants gathered stuff I thought I needed and I went home. And five months later, I'm back in the office and that plant did not live. Uh, it's so brown, it's black. <laughs> I mean, and this is no ordinary plant. Tell us about, because oh. I can see it on Zoom right now, but tell us about the plant really quickly. Yeah, 30 years ago, my assistant at Bethel University uh, gave me this philodendron my very first day on the job. And I, I had it there and then you know i've been 20 years here at eagle brook so for 30 years uh, i've been watering this plant and you know i go on a mission trip it would almost die but i'd come back and bring it back to life but it, it is dead 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 i mean it is dead i we should almost include a picture of just how sad that is that 30 years you kept this plant alive and it is as dead as can possibly be right i'm thinking about just leaving it there as a reminder of COVID 19. oh my gosh well Many things are alive, some things not so much. But anyways, hey, tell us what exactly is the Eagle Brook Association and how long have you been doing that? Yeah, I've been uh, leading the Eagle Brook Association or the EBA uh, for nearly 15 years. Um, it, it, we started this up, both the leadership team and the, the elder board of Eagle Brook Church. We just were getting these demands, uh, churches coming to us asking for help. And we were even at the time hosting a conference. And so that just generated this appetite for churches to call us up and get help. Uh, it seemed to be a real sweet spot for me. So uh, we all decided that I would turn all, I was leading the ministries of the church at the time, turned all that all over to Tyler Gregory. <clears throat> and then we started the Eagle Brook Association, not even knowing for sure what it was. And how many churches do you help currently? I mean, the Eagle Brook Association. Uh, we've had over 300 churches go through our training. Um, and last year, we had nine cohorts going. Oh, my goodness. And a cohort is basically a group of churches and their, their leadership all gathered in the room together. And it's the same group that goes through all the training um, each time they gather together. So we had nine different cohorts going. And share how many salvations, decisions for Christ there's been this last year and then over the course of the Eagle Brook Association's history. Yeah, this last ministry year, there were 15,399 decisions to follow Christ. And then since we've started this ministry, there's been over 106,000 
yes decisions. Amazing. And this is just a completely free ministry resource for other churches, just a way for us to impact the kingdom, help other churches. And and there's exactly. so many things we could learn from you today, Dale. As, as Don and I were talking about when we brought you on, it's like, what are what is one of the many, many dozens of things we could learn from Dale Peterson? Because Dale is a true leadership guru who is responsible for building much of the leadership culture we have today at Eaglebrook. But today, out of all the things that we chose, we want to talk about the four phases of leadership. And we're going to break down each phase and unpack them. But Dale, what exactly are we talking about today? Yeah, well, I, I, I think my style has been, <clears throat> as I'm on the leadership team, to kind of look where are we experiencing pain in the organization? And is there a principle or a teaching or a way that we can address that to uh, reduce that pain? And one of, one of the things I noticed is we'd hire like a new pastor and they would get onboarded and we would think, okay, they've been, they've been here for six weeks, they're ready to go and then turn them loose and let them run. And a lot of them failed. They just didn't survive or they struggled, had a lot of difficulty, I think, or they'd start to rub against the culture. And so I just thought, you know what? As I really think about this, I think there's four different phases that people go through as they start their career at Eagle Church. Okay. And give us just a high level. Before we unpack each one, give us what are those four phases and even why it matters for people listening right now. Yeah, well, there's there's this jump-in phase where you're all excited, but you're clueless as to what you just got yourself into. <laughs> yeah. And then there's what I call the wake-up phase, where all of a sudden now you're aware of what's expected, but you feel ill-prepared to do that job. And then eventually, though, you become a strong contributor. And this lasts a bit longer, but you're aware and you have the skills, you're ready to go. Um, and then one day, you become this wise leader of the organization. Yeah, And people start to look to you and they draw upon your wisdom. Yeah, that's great. Okay, we're going to unpack those. First, Don, when you first hired me 10 years ago, almost to the day, would you have called me clueless? I wasn't clueless. You were, oh my goodness. That's what well, Dale referred to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's debatable. That, that could be a word that was used. But now remember, you were really on my team for like three weeks and then you moved on to someone else's team. Yeah, you so. helped me jump in and then I moved to the wake up phase. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Don, you work with so many people. What's the latest count? I mean, there's 120 staff that kind of report up through you, something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, it's it's been fun to work with a lot of people, but but yeah, like Dale's talking about, people go through different phases. And I, I think one of the things I appreciate about Dale's four phases of leadership is that it can it can give a, a leader some courage, maybe even a little hope, uh, confidence where they are that where they are today isn't where they're always going to be. You know, right. like there is a next step. You are if you're feeling overwhelmed over your head, especially if you're new in the job, you it's going to get better. Like you're going to move along to a next phase. And sometimes you can kind of get blinded in the, man, am I ever going to get through this? I feel like I'm, I'm not contributing. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not even sure I like my job. And then you, you think about bailing out or you get really frustrated and even bitter maybe. And so knowing that there's a next step and then a next step gives you a little more uh, courage and hope. So I love that we're talking through this. Uh, looking forward to what Dale's going to teach us today. Awesome. Okay, Dale, well, take us through the first phase, the jump-in phase. What does that look like for people? Yeah, well, it's a little bit of my own story in that 
uh, I would say 80% of our staff uh, were one-time volunteers serving at the church, attending the church and volunteering. And then one day somebody tapped them on the shoulder and asked them to start praying. And uh, the next thing you know, they're in an interview and somebody hires them and they're now a group's pastor at the Lionel Lakes campus. And they're thrilled. I mean, this is the most exciting thing. It's like a week ago, I was selling, you know, used cars. And today I'm a pastor at one of the biggest churches in the country. So there, there's definitely this excitement. And, and I had the same thing. I left Buffalo University and with a personal invitation from Bob Merritt to come and be on his team. And so I showed up all excited and turned on my computer. <clears throat> and lo and behold, uh, 20 years ago, uh, there wasn't just one word processing software. And I was used to using a different kind of software and Eaglebrook was using Microsoft Outlook and all that kind of stuff. And, and I had to learn how to use my computer. I felt so helpless, clueless, John. I felt clueless. <laughs> and so there, there was this thing of, oh no, what did I get myself into? So it was, it was in that time I went from this huge excitement and, and, and I, you, it really only lasts about 90 days. That's the thing. It's about a 90-day phase. And then one day you come in and you go, oh, my goodness, I don't even know how to use my computer. <laughs> and the senior pastor wants me to start launching small groups. Um, and, and there was a level of uh, accountability that I didn't have at my other job. There was an expectation to produce that I didn't have necessarily at my other job. <clears throat> so this, I learned very quickly the standards at Eagle Book were very, very high. And you think a church wouldn't move this fast, but Eagle Brook Church moves very, very quickly. So early in that 90 days, I realized I'm in over my head. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I would say, you know, one thing that I've noticed with people um, the way they start does affect how quickly they get into the the next or how well they transition into the next phase. I mean, the first 90 days, in fact, it's a book that I recommend often to people who start um, a new job is the first 90 days by Michael Watkins. It just talks about how crucial those first 90 days are to getting off into um, off into a good start. Because if you don't learn those skills, if you don't learn some of the basic organizational culture things within the first 90 days, people start looking at you like, what's, what's taking you so long? You know, what, what's taking you so long to, I mean, it's time to like figure this out and you get about 90 days. I mean, Don, what, what have you seen in regards to this uh, first phase of leadership? Oh, it's, uh, I mean, again, I, even the word I used earlier, overwhelming for a lot of people. And that's, that's how I felt. I mean, when I especially took this new role uh, at Eaglebrook, I, I was over my head. I mean, uh, we can tell a story one day about how I literally passed out <laughs> one day because of, I think, the stress I was feeling at work and at home. I had a bit of a traumatic thing that I, I, I passed out at one point. That was in my first 90 days. Also, with my first day on the job, this is a fun story with Dale and I, because you know that uh, I was attending and then Dale tugged on my sleeve in the middle of a service one time and said, Hey, will you come volunteer with new believers? And so we went on a one year journey where my wife and I actually led a small group of, of uh, new believers. And then at the end of that, I, I asked for Dale to go to Panino's. We go to Panino's for lunch 
and I'm just here to report about my small group. And he says, I don't want to talk about your small group. I want to talk about you coming on staff. And then he slid a piece of paper across the table and it had a job description on it. Wow. And so Dale's the one that invited me to jump in. Mm-hmm. And then before my, it was my first day on the job, we were on a retreat. Dale and I were in a, a, a hotel room where we're both laying in two separate beds in a dark room. And he starts telling me the condition of the staff of which I'm now going to oversee. And he's like, yeah, that person, they're, they're not going to make it. <laughs> and then that person, I don't know if they're going to be able to hang on either for this next chapter. And by the time he was done, I was, I felt like I was going to pass out there too, but <laughs> a lot of passing out. But that was, it, was, it, I mean, it was literally your entire staff. It was, I wasn't going to have that, to turn yeah, that's, that's what it boiled down to is pretty much your team's going to turn over and you know, it's going to be a, an adventure, but, but man, were my eyes, you know, why I didn't sleep at all that night, you know, laying in that hotel room. But, but that's how a lot of people feel jumping in. And, and that's when you need God to step in. And, and thankfully, God has stepped in. But man, there were days that I honestly felt just so overwhelmed. And maybe some people can kind of relate to that, that they just yeah. feel overwhelmed and even a little discouraged in their new job. But today we're here to tell you there's there's a next phase. And yeah, so, there is. And so what is okay. that next phase, Dale? You go from jump in to what? What's the second phase of leadership? Uh, it's the wake-up phase um, where reality hits and you realize, I need more training. I need more skills. I need to understand even the nuances of the culture. <clears throat> and, and I would say as an organization, for 25 years, we were pretty bad at onboarding new staff. And uh, it was just in the, recently here in the last couple of years where we've changed our entire orientation program for new staff so that they were hearing from high-level leaders. They were getting the most critical parts of our culture <clears throat> because they weren't failing because they didn't know how to use a computer like me. They were failing because they didn't understand our culture. And they would start to come in and pet our cat backwards. And it would just irritate the whole organization. So, uh, you know, way to go, Eagle Brook, for recognizing this and changing the entire uh, orientation program for new employees. But that, that wake up, I think one of the key things to learn here is if you have a culture where people are afraid to ask questions, they get to that wake up phase and they fake it. They just fake it. Uh, they pretend like they know what they're doing. And so now they're just guessing or they're whispering to colleagues of, hey, how do you do this? And, uh, and, and it could be anything from something really, really simple, like how does the system work? <clears throat> or where I started was, how do you use the copy machine? Uh, and I'm afraid to ask questions. Uh, but the, the, the big thing is when, when they start to violate the norms of your culture, and they're, and they're afraid to ask questions. And now they just go around faking it. That's when you really start to have some problems. Yeah. And so the, you've said this before, but this phase can last up to two years. And really, you go from this, you know, use whatever analogy you want to use, drinking from a fire hose, <clears throat> jumping into a cold lake, you know, going to pass out. You're jumping in. You're excited. But then you hit this 90 days where there's an expectation organizationally that, oh, Dale's got it figured out, right? He, he knows He knows how to do things now, right? Right. So what, what's a mistake that we can make organizationally about those people? Like, what are some things that you would advise people who do run organizations or run churches when you're thinking like, well, they're, they've got it figured. I mean, we spent, you know, think about some of our old orientation was like, we'd spend two days with them and think, Hey, that that's good. Right. You've got it all. Yeah. 
So they're, they're, past, they're past the 90 days and they're afraid to ask. I mean, what kind of advice do you have to people like who are in this? No, sorry. What advice do you have to people who are leading people who are in the wake up phase? Yeah, I think if, if you're leading people in the wake up phase, uh, you really need to look in the mirror and you need to own the responsibility for how long it takes people to fully onboard into the organization. So it's your it's your challenge. It's not the new employee's challenge. It's, and so what, one of the dangers of this is uh, if, if you're leading a brand new employee and you only have 90% understanding of the vision of the organization, and you would think, well, 90%, that's pretty good. Uh, so you go to pass this on. There's a principle that I learned from the book, uh, The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership by Steve Sample. And it's like, if, if you have a 90% understanding and you're training someone who's coming on board and they're in this wake-up phase, they're only going to get 90% of your 90%. So that means they walk away with an 81% understanding. And then they turn around and they try to explain it to another new person, and they only pass on 81% of the 81%. So that means this third person only gets 66% understanding. And now that person's going to go train their volunteers so you've got this greeter at the front door who only has a 43% understanding of what we're trying to do at our church. And that that's a failure. And what I would love for our supervisors and higher level leaders is you have to get 9% better. Just get 9% better. Because if you have a 99% understanding, you're going to pass it on and they will receive 98% uh, comprehension of the vision. And then when they pass it on, it will be 96%. And then finally, that greeter at the front door will have a 92% understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So the wake-up phase for me is not so much about the new person. It's about the leader of that leader. Mm-hmm. It's about our supervisors. They just have to get better. That's good. Don, anything to add? Yeah, I love what that dilution principle there that that Dale teaches about. That one has struck me many times that it's my job to make sure that I'm understanding the vision so that I can pass it on more effectively. But if I if I fail to understand the vision, I mean, there's no way that the next person can understand it better than me. And so they're going to get a little less. And then by the time it goes down two or three tiers, I mean, it's off the rails. <laughs> you know, it's it's the right. wild west. So the way that I can help the whole organization get better is personally get better myself, understand that vision, and even, again, wake up to what it is that the organization needs from me. And maybe just to circle back to that, too, is to keep asking questions, not to assume that I have the job, and even as a supervisor, not to assume that they get the job, even after they get through that 90 days, stay close to them, maybe a little longer than than we feel comfortable with, too. It's just yes. make sure you're walking through not just the first 90 days, but maybe the first year or two, still checking in and making sure. And and bringing that feedback, too. Hey, just so you know, you didn't mean anything by this, but it did kind of set the system back or it pet the cat backwards. And, you know, you, you meant everything good about it, but I just need to let you know that other people are feeling differently about that. That right. helpful helpful feedback will help somebody kind of move into that to the third phase we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's a just to put a bow on that. That's something I've learned as a leader is that I thought spending really intentional time with someone for the first 3 months was enough. And you know, you don't want to be seen as a micromanager. You want people to run free and be stallions and 
you know, go do all the things you've hired them to do. But when I let my foot off a little bit or, or let the leash go a little longer, um, I find that that employee, it's actually a disservice to them. And, that, right. and again, you said this, Dale, but just to reiterate, it's actually a reflection on my leadership. It's not their fault. Right. It's actually usually the leader's fault of that person to not guide them more in the wake-up phase. Right. Um, so anyways, great, great. Yeah, well, one, one final thing here is, uh, is go overboard with encouraging them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see them doing stuff right, uh, don't just go, hey, way to go. You know, it's like make that a big deal that they're doing it well uh, because I think their self-esteem, they're really fragile in this wake-up stage. Yeah. And their, their self-esteem is, is shaky. And if they lose confidence, they will lose production. Yep. Well, okay, there's a third phase. We got to move this thing along. What's the third phase, Dale? That's the strong contributor. Okay. This is where they completely understand the responsibilities that they have and they have the great confidence. They feel equipped to go do it. And so you use the phrase, you know, let them run like a stallion. These are the people that you can give responsibility to. Um, in fact, I would say they need to feel challenged. If they don't, they get restless. And so I, I make sure that uh, strong contributors have big responsibility. And I don't micromanage them. I hold them accountable. Uh, but I want them to feel the difference between task and responsibility. And, and so sometimes when you're in the wake-up stage, that phase of leadership, all I can do is give that person a task. But when you get to the strong contributor, I can give you responsibility. And the difference is really the weight on my shoulders. If I'm handing off tasks, I still feel the weight. And, and what I want to do is pass on the responsibility of you have responsibility for this. You should be thinking about it ahead of time. You should be running with it. You should be recruiting your own volunteers. I shouldn't have to do that for you. Yeah. And you're usually in this for five to 10 years. You know, it's, it's, it's basically most of your career, you're a strong contributor. Yeah. How, do, how does a person know if they're in this phase of leadership? I, I think, uh, confidence. Uh, they have repeated success. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, I think the entire organization begins to trust a strong contributor. Uh, you just know, uh, you know, fall kickoff is coming and the people that are in charge of that whole uh, production, you just trust them. Yeah. You know, they're going to pull it out. They're going to make it happen. Yeah. You, you check in on them, but you don't have to micromanage them. Yeah, that's that's a good. I would say just to add to that, if you're someone who's receiving these tasks and assignments, not out of desperation, <laughs> you know, because right. I realize sometimes organizations or churches hand things to people who are not ready for it, and the, oh, they look around and you know, who, they're who, who's next on this, and we, right. we don't have anyone else, and you got. But but I think for most healthy organizations, and I think we're one of those currently. Um, that it, it is people who are receiving those tasks. And there's a reason the organization looks at them and says, hey, we trust you to lead this project, lead this team, have this real assignment. You, you probably know at that point that you're a strong contributor. Right. And if you do it well, you've earned even more trust. Yeah. And there's ways to move people on too, as you said, it, just like you said, it, you earn more trust. So you can as a leader of people trying to move people along from wake up to strong contributor, you can actually 
give people short-term assignments or short-term projects and see how they do with it. It's kind of a test run. Hey, let's uh, let's give this project, this task to so-and-so. We're not sure, but let's guide them. Let's see how they step up or not to it. And you kind of get a sense for whether they're ready to move into this phase of leadership. Don, anything right. to add to this? Yeah, I just think good leaders manage the challenge spigot, you know. So for we're already seeing that if you lead a jump-in person the same way you lead a strong contributor, it's not going to work. I mean, you have to lead a jump-in person differently than you lead a strong contributor uh, because a strong contributor will probably start to get a little bored or restless if they've been there for, let's say, three, five, ten years. If you don't find another way to give a little challenge factor to them or a project or an initiative or encourage them in a way that they can continue to grow, I do think they start to, you know, plateau. And I think all of us as leaders want to grow. And I think we should be helping our our people to grow. And so helping a strong contributor to find ways to keep growing as a leader, developing is something that we look to do as supervisors, as leaders. And so identifying where people are in these phases will change the way you lead them. That's important yeah. to pay attention to. Absolutely. And it, you know, I, as I think about it, both of you uh, have a systematic way to challenge strong contributors. John, you, you kind of lead the all staff mm-hmm. and you've actually created this small team of Eagle Brook uh, staff members who plan that staff meeting, produce it every month. And then every year you kind of switch it up and bring some new people on. And Don, you know, with the campus pastors, you're engaging them in Leadership X. Uh, so those are tangible, you know, uh, reproducible ways for you to challenge those strong contributors. So way to go. Thanks. Yeah. So, hey, just to, you know, if I may take a stab at this, I would say both of you have been instrumental in my life, helping me move um, from jump in to wake up, wake up to strong contributor. And I would say that, if I'm just going to take a stab at this, I think I, I live and have lived in the strong contributor category for these five to 10 years. And I'm looking to get into the next phase and, and looking at what that looks like for me, which I would say you both are in. So I would, you know, there's probably several years, uh, maybe 10 or more where both of you are in the strong contributor and both of you organizationally have moved into this fourth phase. And so I want to first of all, hear about this fourth phase, but then I want to talk about what it looks like um, from my perspective about you both and then what it looks like about me and how I'd even move into this next phase. So with all that being said, um, Dale, why don't you tell us about the fourth phase of leadership here? Yeah, the fourth phase is you become a wise leader. And uh, to answer your question, uh, I don't get to decide when I'm the wise leader. Yeah, so I decided for you. Right. The organization decides. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and what they see, this is kind of critical. I think the first three phases, I'm focused on myself. And how do I survive? How do I get stronger? But by the time you get to a wise leader, <clears throat> there, there is a greater emphasis on the organization, not myself. And so what's best for the organization? What's best for the, the staff person? Uh, that, that I wake up every day thinking about that. Not what can I do to better myself um, or advance my career, I should say. So they, the wise leader just brings this sense of assurance. They often have a level of spiritual authority when they're leading a church. Um, they're seen as people who have biblical knowledge. Uh, they have great character. 
They're skilled, they're smart, they can do their job, but they're great chemistry with other people. <clears throat> and that we would say they have godly wisdom, organizational wisdom, and they even have this self-awareness, so personal wisdom. Uh, those nine qualities all go into what it means to be a wise leader. Uh, but I didn't come in and put a sign up on my door to say, hey, I'm a wise leader today. <laughs> um, but John, you should know you are a wise leader. The organization looks to you for wisdom. Uh, and I, I would say that's true of everybody on our, our leadership team. Uh, and that's why they're there is because Jason Strand and Tyler Gregory have recognized that you have this quality about you. And that's why you're on the leadership team. Yeah, that. thanks for saying that. I'm not sure if that's true or not totally. But what I would say is it's fresher for me. And I. it's not just an age thing. It's also because um, I'm younger than both of you, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> Uh, you can't tell with the voice necessarily, but uh, younger. And so it's an age thing and it's uh, just age being at an organization. So I would say that I have distinct memories of the last several years of like, okay, it's not about me from a selfish standpoint, but me about how I can continue to contribute, like what what I can do, how I can grow, how I can, I think it was for good reason, good motivation but I sense, and I've talked with you about this, Don, you know, off of a podcast of like, I sense in my own spirit and soul that I'm, I'm trying to make this transition of being a young 30 something. Now I'm 36. So I'm not young anymore. The people I work with are like 20 and 21 and 20 and they're crazy talented. And so I look around like, oh, I used to think of myself as the young person. I'm not anymore. And so I'm, I'm actually, I feel like I'm in transition um, between phases. And I'm trying to figure out continually what that looks like, how I do wake up in the morning, Dale, and think more about, you know, someone else in the organization. It's, it's, it, some of it comes naturally, some of it doesn't. So what, what advice would you have to someone like me? Who's, you know, I, I know I can't label myself as a wise leader and you've said kindly, that is true, but someone who's like, well, how do I go from strong contributor to wise leader? What, what does it take within me? as a leader to get there? Well, those, those are great. That's a great question. Those are great thoughts. Um, some of it, you're right. You talked about age. Um, but just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. <laughs> That's true. But then there's longevity within the organization. And, and so, you know, I've been attending Eagle Brook for 25 years and on staff for 20 of those years. And there's just things I know from historically, you know, what we've done and how we got to where we are, and even still bear some of the scars uh, from the pain of what it took to change the church. Um, and I think some of that just gives you wisdom. Yeah. Um, Bob Merritt and I used to joke about, you know, uh, some you just got to get whacked in the head a few times. You got to get beat up doing ministry uh, because that's the stuff that gives you character and that's the stuff that gives you wisdom. Yeah. Donna, how about you? I mean, whether it's a personal reflection or just what you've seen in other leaders, um, what does it take to become a wise leader in an organization? Yeah, it's it's such a, it's, I'm just fascinated by this discussion too, because wisdom is really hard to get your arms around. You know, it's, it's not a formula. It's not like, you're right, you work 10 years, you're deemed wise. Uh, so it's this kind of nuance that I would agree. Dale's got that. I look to Dale for wisdom. And, and I think if I just try to put words to it, we, I mean, 
we have talked about the three kinds of wisdom. And I think that that just plays out in this, like a guy like Dale, you know, you know that he's tapping into God every morning. So he's filled with the spirit. That's, that's going to help. You know, he understands the organization better than anybody else. And understanding the organization doesn't just mean knowing the vision culture and I can run through the six different tiers and fill in all the blanks, but it is, it's how you navigate decisions. It's how you think strategically, you know, and even how you work with your boss or with a team and you do it in a way that, that just settles just right, you know, says the right thing at the right time with the right tone and Dale's got all those things. And then personal wisdom where you really are managing yourself, you're aware of yourself and, and you're taking care of yourself, self-management, I think in there. And, and wise leaders just kind of do that for a, a long enough time. Like Dale's saying, you've taken your lumps along the way, you've passed out a couple times <laughs> and, and now you can share from some <clears throat> of those experiences, both good and bad, more like bad. I mean, honestly, like Dale said, the whack factor. I mean, you've kind of been whacked enough that you learn these things that you can say, hey, learn from my pain. You don't want to make that decision. You don't want to push back on that right now. That idea didn't work last time. I would let it go. Uh, you know, tapping into wise people like Dale and whatever organization you work for, there's wise people that are there. Tap into those wise people. Uh, wise <laughs> leaders are, are rare, but man, when you can get any time with them, you know, squeeze the sponge on anything you can learn from them. So yeah, that's great. I think it's such a great thing to talk <laughs> about the fourth phase too, that wise leaders really are the people that really are the, the backbone of organizations. And Dale's right in the center of that for us too. That's obvious. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, John, you, you use the word motivation. And, and I, I, I really would focus in on that. Of when you fully can embrace and accept the true motivation in your heart for being in leadership, I, I think that's when you can start to make the jump from strong contributor to wise leader. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was on, on the team in the early, early days around here, I was very passionate about strategic ideas to move the church forward. And I didn't understand that passion is actually irritating to other people. And so passion alone is irritating. What's that? Don didn't know that either early on in his career. Yeah. And so I was passionate about changing ministry programs, not understanding I was I was uh, making the board unsettled. I was making Bob unsettled. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I actually sat down with a leadership coach and he gave me feedback from the people in my life. And it really dawned on me that the true motivation for me to be so passionate about my ideas was that I wanted to get credit. In fact, the Lord really convicted me and it was, you don't just want credit, you want my glory. Mm. And when I could finally admit that there's a part of me that wants to be in church leadership to steal God's glory, that's when it really rattled my cage. And it wasn't leadership development anymore. It was confession of sin. And I think when I, when I did that, it kind of broke the back of that. And I talk about it publicly all the time now. Uh, just so that it doesn't get another grip on me. Uh, but I think my colleagues now trust me more because they sense uh, I'm not fighting to get my way. <laughs> you know, if, if I have an idea, it's so that the church will thrive. 
It's not so that Dale can get attention. And I think that's a big part of growing in wisdom. Wow. Spoken like a wise leader. That was so well said. And uh, yeah, we've definitely seen that in you. Um, Hey, we're going to wrap things up here, but any final thoughts, things to add from either of you? Well, you you remember that loss of vision formula from Steve Sample. I I think when you're a wise leader, you have a tremendous responsibility uh, to know the organization inside and out, all the nuances so that uh, you're passing on 99% wisdom, not 90%. Yeah, that's great. So again, four phases of leadership. Um, we'll include this document on our show notes, but jump in, wake up, strong contributor, wise leader. Maybe take some time, reflect on what phase are you in currently. And then if you do lead employees or lead other volunteers or lead a team of people, um, maybe spend some time identifying where those people fit. And because the way you lead someone in the jump in phase or a strong contributor phase is way different than the way you lead them in wake up or wise leader phase. And so right. take some time, identify that. But we hope that this conversation has been helpful. It's been really helpful to me. Dale, you're just a, a bucket of leadership wisdom. And oozing. Uh, we're just, ooze. Ooze, you're oozing it. We're grateful for that. Um, your plant is not oozing anything at this no, point it's... other than death. But you are oozing uh, leadership wisdom. And so we're just really grateful for that. Don, again, thanks for your insight. And uh, that's all we got for this Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. Um, just a reminder um, for those of us, uh, you who are listening, subscribe or leave a review. We'd love to know your thoughts. And our hope is that when leaders get better, the church gets better. So thanks for joining us. And we'll see you for the next episode of the Eelberg Church Leadership Podcast. 